guys played anyway, amen. It's getting tough to be a Bama fan this year. I kind of know how you Auburn folks feel, amen. Hey, man, that's one. No, I'm cutting up with you, just seeing if you're listening. Take your uh, Bibles, if you would, turn to Genesis 37. Our children's church is meeting over here to the left, uh, my left, your right, at the Welcome Center with Miss Amy, and they'll be going back to children's church, so we'll give time for them as they're coming. But Genesis 37, beginning verse 1, is when we're going to begin reading this morning. I shared Wednesday nights, we were talking about Wednesday nights, we've been taking each little phrase of the what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer. We also know a good term for it's the disciples' prayer because when the disciples needed Jesus to teach them something, the one thing they asked them to do was to teach them to pray. So nevertheless, as they were being taught to pray, we've been taking each of those phrases. And one of the, we talked about this week, thy will be done. That's the tough part, isn't it? Because we're all a little bit stubborn. We're, we're human we've got a sin nature, we like things our way and we kind of want God to kind of fix it the way we'd like him to fix it surrendering, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is, uh, is difficult but the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit helps us in, in, along that way but I shared Wednesday night I, uh, something I'd read and it's really true is when your life is over all that's really going to matter is what you've done with Jesus and whether or not your name is in the Lamb's book of life Nothing else will matter. All this stuff we talk about, we enjoy, and all that kind of stuff. We're right in here. It's almost gun season for our dear guys. Amen. I, I told Joseph, my old buddy Joseph, I said, you know, I'm not much sitting in a deer stand, but, I, you know, the stands I like are those in those stadiums, you know, the ball games and stuff. So we like those stands better. It's that time of year. Uh, there's things we enjoy doing, and it's all good and fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes down to the end of everything, all that's going to matter is whether or not your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, whether you belong to Jesus Christ, whether you're a child of God, and whether you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. That's all that's really going to matter. Amen? So Genesis 37 begins telling us a story of a young man that I really believe, of all the people I read in the Old Testament, and there are many, many wonderful examples, but he's as good as any, if not better, of one who really had an eternal perspective, who really kept his eyes focused on what was ahead and not just what was right in front of him. And I believe that's a great uh, example for you and I today. Genesis 37, verse 1, if you found your place and you're able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God? I'm probably just going to read about these first four verses the first 11 verses are um, in the same pericope, and that's a fancy word for a, uh, a preaching unit, a unit of the, the Scripture in the same context and a preaching unit, and we'll talk about those next verses, but really want to focus on these first four today. So Genesis 37, verse 1. Would you notice with me what the Word of God says? It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the story of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word today. I pray, Father, that you would take your word and speak mightily into the hearts of your children to change us and to conform us to be more like your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray for those in this room today that do not know you, that have yet to surrender their life to you, yet to become your child. Father, I pray today would be their day 
they would see the benefit of being a child of God and the blessing of being a child of God and the blessing of keeping an eternal perspective on life even when there's chaos all around us. Father, I just pray most of all that the Son of God would be glorified through the faithful proclamation of the gospel today. And I pray, Father, we go away saying truly we've been in the presence of the Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Today I'm preaching on the subject of remaining faithful when life's not fair. I can remember, and I'm sure you do, there are many times in your life things happen that just weren't fair. When my children were growing up, they would come and tell me things that had happened in their life at school and everywhere else that were just not fair. And they always know that I told them, of course, nobody ever promised you that everything would be fair. And if you want to find fair, you can swear you go down there and buy a ticket and you go round and round on the Ferris wheel, amen? There's no such thing as life being fair. So I believe it's important we understand the Bible gives us help and hope for these situations. We're gonna be looking at the life of Joseph and I'm just gonna put up a few quick things for you to walk through because in order to understand what's taking place even in these opening verses of chapter 37, you have to understand the plot that's taking place. Well, I was listening to Tony Evans a while back and he talked about, they did a survey about the most, I mean, popular TV show, I don't know how long it was, for decades and decades, and they determined that that show was a show called Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld watchers in the house? It's not a sin to watch Seinfeld, so don't feel like you only picked that. Okay, that's fine. And, and, and I want to be very honest with you. I guess I'm out of touch. I, I have never watched a, a, a single episode of Seinfeld. Is anybody with me? Any, okay, just checking. Okay, good. Good. Y'all are all right people, I guess. No, it doesn't really matter. And it's not about whether you've watched Seinfeld or not. But they determined that what made it such a popular show was is because it had zero plot. Every episode was a standalone episode. You know, it wasn't anything cool like the Waltons. No Waltons fans in the house? Okay, check it. I mean, if you, don't, if you grew up in the 70s and you don't like the Waltons, I mean, I remember I used to have to go to bed when the Waltons went off, so that was my favorite. But no, it had no continuing storyline, no plot, so he said it. It's just a bunch of plotless people watching a plotless story about living plotless lives. And I thought that was rather interesting because sometimes those kind of shows help us escape. I told y'all last week, I watch weird shows like Aerial America and get sermon illustrations from them, right? But no, there is a plot to this story. It's not like that at all. And the plot involves three things. It involves a father uh, whose name was Jacob, of course, and and it involves the favorite who, of course, was Joseph of his brothers. There was 12 total, and we'll talk about them more. And it involves the fallout, which was the brothers' actions when they determined that Joseph was, without a doubt, their father's favored son. So I want to leave those there for a minute because you need to know the plot. Now, God constantly uses the lives of Bible characters to teach us some things, to encourage us and to warn us. These stories are not in Scripture just to fill up space. These are divinely inspired words from God, and they are there for us to teach us, encourage us, and warn us. Now, the story of Joseph is probably without a doubt one of the most intriguing stories of the Old Testament. 13 chapters, chapter 37, and then chapter 39 through 50 are dominated by the events of his life beginning at the age of 17. However, the story of his life begins long before his birth. I think that's important to understand. It begins with a man we talked about in Sunday school this morning, his great-grandfather, Abraham, who was a nomadic sheep herder. He lived in a very dry and hot region of the Middle East. That area was known as Canaan, which is today modern-day Israel. And although Joseph is the main character in these chapters, the last one-third or so of the book of Genesis, his story is really about God's promise to Abraham's descendants being fulfilled. Now, God made Abraham two promises in Genesis chapter 12. He said, one, I'm going to make you a great nation. That was his first promise. And his second promise was is that all the nations of the earth 
will be blessed by you. Two great promises in Genesis chapter 12 to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham. You see, God's promise to Abraham changed the direction of all humanity. Without a doubt, we understand that God promised Abraham that he would start a new future of blessing him and his family. His story is so amazing to me because you know from Sunday school that his name was Abram before God changed it to Abraham. The name Abraham means father of many. He was mocked because his name, he had a name that said he was the father of many, but yet he had no children at that time. But when God changed his name to Abraham, even before Isaac was born, the name Abram means father of many, but the name Abraham means father of a multitude. So now he's got a name that says no longer just many but a multitude, yet he's still without a child, but God stayed true to his promise as we see. Also we see God promise, his, his promise lies with a family. It's not an ideal family. It's a family like yours. It's a family like mine. It's not perfect, not ideal at all, but it resembles many families today with the struggles, deep problems, and the sadness and grief that we all experience. But when we pick up the life of Joseph at 17 in Genesis 37, it's clear that he has a family that has some serious problems, real issues. It's been noted many times by many authors that, uh, that Joseph's life had some serious issues. Tony Evans calls it his detours. And these detours were ways that God allowed him to be developed in order to arrive at his destiny. Detours are something we don't like, do we? I don't like detours. I, I kind of like to get on, the, get on the path and get from point A to point B and move on. But a detour is an unplanned, often unexpected shift in the route we're taking and trying to get us where we're going. So there's a plot, but I also want you to know that not only is there a plot, but there is a problem. The problem are these detours. And I want to borrow from Dr. Evans for just a minute to help you understand the reason behind these detours. Detours are ordered and detours are there for us and they are determined by several things in our lives. Sometimes detours are determined by our disasters. Uh, that means that something has happened to someone else that's caused a change in our plans. We've all experienced disasters as people and families, communities, and as a nation. We can think of so many times in our nation when disasters uh, caused a detour. In 1939, when Adolf Hitler inv invaded Poland, began the start of World War II, we all think World War II started December 7, 1941, but my American history teachers will be glad to know that I remember that it started before that. In 1939, we see what happens as Hitler invades Poland. That, that begins the start of World War II. Our nation tried every way under the sun to stay out of World War II, didn't we? Amen, we did. I mean, we got Churchill over here begging for somebody to help him. He's getting blasted and bombed and everything else. We still tried to stay out of it. But there came a time that something happened that caused us to no longer be neutral. It's called Pearl Harbor, amen? When Pearl Harbor happened, President Roosevelt said it's a day that will live in infamy. It was a disaster that caused for a decision that it detoured our plans to stay out of the war, brought us right into the war, and, we, and if we had not have got involved, think where we'd be today. Speaking German, wouldn't we, right? Aren't you glad somebody got involved? Amen? So sometimes there are detours by the, uh, that, uh, excuse me, disasters that are part of our detour. There's also a second one. Sometimes detours are determined by our desires. We often want to go a different way than our original plan. Uh, sometimes our desires get involved, but also there's just a third reason. Detours are also determined by development. Think about my friend Ray. He works out on the highway and sometimes I'll come up and they'll be paving. And you know what'll happen? There'll be the guy out there with the sign that says stop. And then he's on the radio with somebody or he's got the pilot car. Y'all ever look for the pilot car? 
Sometimes I feel like in my life I've got that job. Boom, 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 you know. And he, he uh, wait on that pilot car and then you wait for the time to be able and they said, no, you can't go this way. The bridge is out. You're going to have to go around this way because we're building a new bridge or we're paving a new highway. Sometimes we realize that as things are being fixed in our lives, we have to be rerouted so God can bring about new development in our lives. See, when God is ready to move you, Dr. Evans said this, to the next spiritual level toward your destiny, things may get worse before they get better. Wow. God rarely takes us from where we are to where he wants us to be in a straight line. God doesn't work the way we work. He works on his timetable, not ours. He follows his agenda, not ours. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is God. And the reason is, is because he has some construction to do in our lives. And can I say this to you? Before he can do some construction, he might have to do some destruction. He might have to tear some stuff down in your life in order to build up the godliness and the testimony and the character for which he wants you to display to the world. Sometimes he may have to uproot some stuff and he may have to make you real uncomfortable in order to get you to be the child of God that he saved you to be. Amen? I believe that. So in order for his divine development to occur, he has to reroute some things. Sometimes he has to create some detours in our lives until we are ready, until we are prepared for the destination and when our destination is ready for us. You see, Joseph was destined for greatness regardless of what his brothers did. Joseph was destined for greatness regardless of what his father did. But he had to experience some difficulties which contributed to his development in order that he could accomplish his destiny. It's very important we understand that. You see, the story of Joseph's life is a little different than most we read about. Sometimes we read about in the Old Testament when God accomplished his will, he done miraculous things in the lives of his people in order to accomplish his purpose. But Joseph's story is about God accomplishing his will in the lives of his people through everyday life events. In Joseph's story, there is no parting of the waters. In Joseph's story, the sun doesn't have to stand still. In Joseph's story, there are no ax heads floating in the water. In Joseph's story, there are no fiery chariots sweeping down to rescue him at a moment of trouble. You see, his story is about everyday events but God accomplishing his will through them. I love what R. Kent Hughes said. He said the story of Joseph is about the hidden but sure way of God. Amen? I'm trusting to the unseen hand. Amen? The hidden but sure way of God. God's hidden hand arranges everything without show or explanation or violating the nature of things. God is involved in all events and he directs all things to their appointed end. So we've got a plot. We've got a father. We've got a favorite. And we've got some brothers that are all tore up. Uh, we've got a real, real, real plot. We've got a problem here with our detours. Sometimes it's by disaster. Sometimes it's because of our desires. Sometimes it's for our development. So as we dive right into these first few verses of Genesis 37, I want to focus the remainder of our time today on the father's favoritism. See, it's a dangerous choice for any father to show favoritism to one child over another. Do you know that? Your, your children don't do this, but my girls, even now they're grown, they'll call me and they'll say, hey, Dad, it's your favorite daughter. You know what the other one will do? Hey, Dad, it's your favorite daughter. And they want me to agree with them, you know. But I never do, I do. They just do this stuff back and forth. They've always played this game. And they would love for me to do that. And here's what it is. They're different. They have different gifts. They have different things they like and all that kind of stuff. But I am grateful to God for their differences. Aren't you and your children? Because if they were both the same, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Amen? So it's dangerous for that to happen. Well... Jacob certainly made that mistake. Let's talk about Jacob's affection. The Bible says this, 
that he loved J excuse me, Joseph more than all of his children. Now why? Here's what the scripture says. Because he was the son of his old age. Wow. Wonder why there's such an emphasis on that. Was Jacob's age the real reason that he favored Joseph? If you're not careful, you'll think it's just because he was older and softer. No, Jacob had 12 sons. Look here. This dude was a mess. He had 12 sons with four different women. Mm-hmm. Wow. So as a young man, we know that he loved this girl named Rachel. He loved Rachel so much that he was willing to labor for free for her hand in marriage from her dad. Her father was a man named Laban. You know what Laban did? He turned out to be a better trickster than old Jacob was. You had to get up early in the morning and get ahead of Jacob. Laban said, sure, you labor for her seven years. I'll give her to you. So he did for seven years and went to the wedding and lifted up the veil after he was married. And guess what? Wasn't Rachel. Oh, Laban said, you know what? You wanted Rachel because she's the one you want most. But you know, I really need my daughter Leah to get married here. And she's not as pretty and she's not as fair and she's not as fine and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I'm going to show you, Jacob. You think you pull one over on me. You're married to Leah now. Well, he must have liked her okay. He had six sons with her. Amen? I mean, I would evidently so, but you know, that wasn't enough for Jacob. He had six sons with Leah. He had two with her handmaid named Zilpah. Hey, imagine that. Hey, mama, check out my new main squeeze. Her name's Zilpah. Wow. So then, then you know, he... He labored seven more years so he could marry Rachel. Remember that? So he, oh, Laban finally let off the hook. 14 years. He must have really been crazy about that girl, but not really, not, evidently not crazy enough. So she was unable to have children there for a point. So he had two more with her handmaiden, Bilhah. How about this? Zilpah, Bilhah. That's kind of like the twins off of Happy Days or something. I don't know, but some of you young kids have no clue what that is. But, uh, but then he had two more boys by his beloved wife Rachel his youngest number 11 was our buddy Joseph and number 12 was his younger brother Benjamin who was born in his middle teens so there was a big difference but while Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin she died so here we have Joseph at 17 we've got Benjamin that's still a toddler so he's not even being mentioned but it's real clear the reason why Joseph loved him so much. It really didn't have a whole lot to do with his age. It was that he was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. So not only Jacob's affection, but notice with me, if you will, it talks about Joseph's attire. Not only is it evident that he was favored, he took it a step further when he came to him and he said, son, I want to give you a gift. I want to present you a tunic, which is a coat, we know the coat of many colors. We know it from Dolly Parton to Sunday school. And we know that he gave him this special robe and there was something important to understand about that robe. It was supposed to be worn by the Eastern chieftain. It was a kind of coat that was given to a son who would become his father's heir. Wait a minute, now hold on a minute. He's going to become his father's heir, but he's number 11. Somebody ain't going to be happy. Firstborn going to be tore up. Secondborn ain't going to be happy either. But he gives this to him as his heir, and this coat did something to Joseph. It set him apart from his brothers, listen here, and it made him equal with his father. They were upset. So here's what the robe did, and look what it did. It speaks to us of a couple of things. I learned from John Phillips that the robe spoke of the priesthood of Joseph. See, the family priesthood, in order, should have gone to the firstborn, and his name was Reuben. They named a sandwich after him. You heard of him? Okay. No, no, they should have gave it to Reuben, but Reuben was one who was very unstable, 
His instability was well known to his father. So for the time being, here's what happened. The custodianship of the priesthood had been given to Joseph instead of Reuben. It speaks of the priesthood, but it also speaks of priority. See, it was the custom to give all these things to the oldest son and for him to receive a double portion of the father's estate. That is this, that the son would receive twice the amount of all of his other brothers. The double portion was not going to be going to Reuben. The double portion was about to go to Joseph. See, it's not just about Jacob's affection for him, and it's not just about the attire that he gave him, but notice something about Joseph's attitude. You've heard me say this many times from this pulpit, and I've said it many times of other groups I've spoken to, our students, our athletes. I say to them, there are always two things you can control about your life. There's so many things you can't control, but there are two things you can, and that is your attitude and your effort. You can control your attitude and keep your attitude right, and you can always give 110% effort. That's two things you have under your control. But when we look at Joseph's life, we can see how those things could have spun out of control if he had let them. He lived with loneliness. He lived with concern over the way his brothers treated him. You won't believe this, but Joseph loved his brothers in spite of the way. When we get to the end of the story, you're going to see how much. He could have easily gotten a bad attitude. He could have easily said, Reuben's giving me a hard time because daddy loves me. I can't help it that daddy don't like Reuben because Reuben's all over the place. He's not going to leave his legacy to one that is unstable as Reuben. I can't help. No, he didn't even talk about those things. And at 17, his father sent him into the fields. He sent him there with four distinct brothers and they were there to feed the flocks. Now I want you to take a moment. This is something you might overlook if you're not careful. We've got to look at which four brothers he sent him with. He sent him with one of his brothers named Dan. He was a child that he had had with Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. His name means a judge of the people and he was a very sarcastic and intimidating brother. He was the one that was always putting him down, always making him feel guilty. That was Dan's resume. The next brother was a brother named Naphtali. He was also a son that Jacob had with Bilhah. His name means a deer let loose. Now think about this, all my hunter buddies. When you see a deer walking through the woods, and either they're on a chase or they hear a sound that startles them or somebody shoots at them, do they just look around and say, hey, what's going on? No, they don't do that. They take off like crazy and nothing gets in their way. They'll jump over anything, run through anything, doesn't matter. That's the kind of guy this brother was. His, he was very wild and he was hard to restrain. He was like a deer let loose. So there's two guys he's out there with. What about the other two? The other's name was Gad. He was a son that Jacob had with Zilpah, Leah's handmaiden. And his name means warned of being attacked. You know what he was? He was the bully of the brothers. He was the one that was smacking on him all the time. And Joseph was kind of, you know, meek and humble and he was always giving him a hard time so now he's out there with a deer let loose, a bully and one who's sarcastic and intimidating him. But there was one more brother. His name was Asher, also a son that uh, Jacob had with Zilpah. His name means will enjoy riches and joy. He was extravagant and indulgent. He was the one that if there was a hundred hundred bad things to do, he'd do 110. If there was 100 things to get involved with, it was ungodly, he'd get in 150. So here we see Joseph with a sarcastic, intimidating brother, with a brother that is like a wild deer let loose, with a brother that is a bully and one that is extravagant and indulgent. Can you see what kind of mess he was in? See, there was tremendous pressure on Joseph to conform to his brother's lifestyle. I'm sure they put it to him like this. You do what we say, or you're going to pay the price. You conform to our way, or we're going to take care of you. 
Romans chapter 12 has a word for us in that same word. The Bible says in verse two of Romans 12, to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that, may, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? The Phillips translation says this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not let the world mold you. You have been placed in the world with a lot of the gospel to mold the world, not be molded by the world. Years ago when I was a young man, I worked at a brake factory, the Dana Corporation. I'll never forget, one of my jobs was a press operator and there would be steel come down the chutes and there would be pieces and parts that would come through that press and they would be look like just a flat piece of steel but when they came out of that press they would be molded into a perfectly uh, rounded brake chute. I remember seeing that happen over and over. What looked like nothing began to look like something. It took shape. Well, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that's what's happening around us. Joseph was young. He was away from home. He was in the company of his godless brothers. The question had to be, would he bow to the pressure or would he remain true to his convictions? I want to hear, you to hear me and hear me real clearly today. There is constant pressure on you. Every child of God, if you've trusted Jesus and he is your Lord, I want you to listen real close to me right now. Regardless of your age, if you're 17 like Joseph, there's a lot of pressure on you to conform to the ways of your buddies. That same peer pressure does not go away when you graduate high school. Can somebody say amen to that? It does not go away, but hear me. It takes on another form and it becomes a different kind of pressure. Maybe it's a pressure to keep up. Maybe it's a pressure to conform, whatever it might be. I want you to hear me. You'll have people come around you regardless of you. Here, man, just take a drink. It'll calm your nerves, man. It won't hurt. Jesus did, which I got a problem with that. But anyhow, I hear people, Christian people, say that all the time. Here, I remember when my girls were going to get married at the wedding venues, they would say, look, if you're going to set up a bar, you've got to fill out this thing, and you've got to fill out this thing. I said, listen, this is a Christian wedding for the glory of God. There will be no alcohol here. They looked at me like I was a, a square peg in a round hole, and I said, you know what? To God be the glory. You can still be a Christian and have a good time and remember everything that happened. There's too much pressure on the church today to conform and we're doing it. We're conforming. We're not forming the world. We're letting the world form us. Woo! Hear me, church. You know why I'm telling you this today? Because Joseph gives us an example of not conforming to the ways of the world. And I want to hear you. You need to not let the world conform you either. You say, well, my friends will make fun of me. They won't call me. They might even defriend me on the Facebook. Stand by some biblical conviction for the glory of God. Honor God who saved you. The lamb was sacrificed for you and the Holy Spirit lives within you. Give God glory for your life. Well, you know, Joseph was also tempted to do something else. Don't you go tell daddy the way we're treating you out here. Are y'all with me? Don't you go do that. Don't you report of our ungodly behavior to the Father. What the Bible say Joseph did? He brought a bad report of them to his father. You know what many Bible commentators do here? They say, Joseph, he is a crybaby. He was a tattletale. Little sneaky spy guy. Daddy's little pet. <laughs> There's nothing really further from the truth. You know what Joseph's report had to do with it? It wasn't about tattletelling. It was about integrity. 
and it was about stewardship. His brother's actions were dangerous to the entire family. Do you know that your actions beyond the walls of this church, if they are ungodly, they are dangerous to the family. And they bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. Wait, wait a minute, preacher. Let me help you out. When I as a pastor, when I witness or hear, and I don't have to go digging, it just happens. When I hear of the ungodliness of lives of people in our church family, you know what I do? I just go tell my father. <laughs> Amen. I said, Lord, I want to tell you about my friend. I want to tell you about my brother. I'm concerned about. I want to tell you about my sister. I'm going to tell you, God, I'm concerned for them. I don't know everything that's going on. I don't have any clue, and I don't have to. But God, I just want to lift them up to you today because I know they got some struggles, and God, I know there's a chance they could bring dishonor to you and your church and your name. You know, let me tell you why I do that. I don't want to tell on you. I just love you. Amen. You know how much I love you? I love you enough to talk to our Father about you. But see, I believe it's better for us to talk to the Father about each other than talk about each other to each other. Amen. Oh, hear me. It means so much to me, the testimony of this pulpit, the testimony of the people in these pews and the membership of this church. It means so much to me. It matters to me. So I take it to the Father. You know why? Because I want God to heal you and I want God to help you. And I know that even sometimes it might take God humbling you. But I want your life to bring glory to him. I don't want anybody to have to guess whose side you're on. I don't want anybody to have to guess whether you're the real deal or not. I want it to be clear. So how about you today? Here's, here's the question for the day. How about you? How are you going to respond when you are tempted to compromise biblical conviction just to get along with people? that really don't care as much about you as you think they do. Now I want you to hear me. How are you going to respond when you're tempted? How do you respond? Here's another one. How do you respond when you hear of ungodliness in the lives of your brothers? Do, do you go to the social media and go on a rant? Do you text somebody and say, guess what I heard? Or do you get on your knees and say, oh God, please intervene. So how can we remain faithful when life's just not fair? How can we stay true when we're under pressure like Joseph? Years ago, I remember going through a tough struggle. Early years of ministry, probably, it's probably been 20-something years ago. And I was riding down the road Harrison County, Georgia. Got a little AM station over there, WGMI 1440. That's about all I could pick up by old 94.4. I think I just had an AM radio in it, Ray. I don't even think it had an FM. No, it didn't have a cassette player. I mean, now kids like, what's a cassette player? And I remember hearing the words to this song. Here were the words. When you're up against the wall and your mountain seems so tall and you realize life's not always fair. You can run away and hide or let the old man decide or you can change your circumstances with a prayer. Here's what the chorus said. When everything falls apart, praise his name. 
Oh, when you have a broken heart, just raise your hands and say, Lord, you're all I need. You're everything to me. And you can take the pain away. When you feel so all alone, praise his name. When you feel all hope is gone, just raise your hands and say, greater is he that is within me and you can praise the hurt away if you'll just praise his name oh there was times the first time I heard that I had to pull off the side of the road because I was a danger to everybody else because the spirit of God invaded the cab of that truck I mean and just, just wrapped his arms around me and said son I know this is difficult I know this is painful, but I'm telling you it is for my glory. When you stand up for Jesus, you will be made fun of. You will be ridiculed. There will be people walk out of this service today. I know people watch online. I don't know. They'll walk out and say, God, our preacher is just so out of touch. But I want you to hear me today. I tell you what I tell you because I'm not concerned with being in touch with the pulse of society. I am concerned in being in touch with the heart of a holy God. And he is telling me today to warn you, to encourage you, but to warn you. Stand up for what is right and quit bowing down to the culture. Let the Spirit of God within you conform you to the image of God's dear Son. You can be as resistant if you want, but if you belong to Him, you've done cross the line, you've been bought with the blood of Calvary, you, you, you know what? You're His. And you know what? You belong to Him, and He can really make you uncomfortable to get you there. And I'm encouraging you today to just submit humbly to the Lordship of Jesus like Joseph, even when you're under pressure, and watch God do great things here. It's 2021. I never thought I'd live this long, did y'all? I didn't even, 30 years ago, I wasn't sure the world would be standing in this day. And it barely is. But can I tell you something? It's high time that we awaken from our sleep and we quit letting the world lead us and let's light the way for the world. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much for your faithfulness down through the ages. You're a good, good father. You're awesome you've been faithful and God I'm just glad you hadn't treated me the way I've treated you I'm glad Father that even in our faithlessness it never, never affected your faithfulness but God today you've given us an example from scripture the story of Joseph under the intense pressure of those in his own family he just stayed true Father I know we'll read on through the story of his life and the pressure got heavier the temp got hotter but never affected him never caused him to compromise his integrity Father today I pray for those in this building, those watching by way of internet. God, may they know that you love them. And may they know that you put unconditional love in the heart of this preacher for all people. And Father, I deeply care about them, their family, and their testimony. Father, I know I don't fit into this world. I thank God I don't. 
Father, you didn't call us to fit in. You called us to stand out. May your children today be equipped and empowered to stand out by first bowing humbly before you, surrendering to your Lordship. God, may lives be changed today as a result of the working of your Spirit and the power of your Word. God, I give you praise right now for what I know you want to do in the lives of people. Touch hearts, change lives. Add to your church daily those who are being saved. We'll give you praise. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. I want you to look this way just for a moment before we sing. At this invitation, it is for your good and his glory. If God is dealing with your heart about anything, I want you to hear me. Now is the time to respond. Now is the time to surrender. It's not for me. It's for you. It's for him. Oh, church, we need God to bring revival to our communities and our country. And that begins when God's people submit and surrender to him. And come together and pray and say, oh, God, stir us that we might be stirred. Whatever decisions you need to make today, I pray you'd honor them. We're here to receive you. I've already seen when you're ready, buddy. Sing it with all your heart, church. I If you've got any correspondence to leave with us in the offering plate, prayer requests, praise reports. Um, if you, uh, we talked about volunteering for Hearts Food Distribution on the 23rd, so don't forget that. You can put that in there also. Or any other correspondence you need to leave with us, uh, please drop that in the offering plate when it comes around. It's a blessing to be able to give today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. At this time of Thanksgiving and
we talk about thanks living and talk about the, the joy and, and being being thankful and all those things that we talk about in November, very important things we need to talk about every day. As you give today, always remember that you're a part of something that hell itself can't stop, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Never forget Dr. Gene Tyre telling me this years ago in classroom at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, he talked real deep. He said, Brent and Brent, son, you need to remember that you are a part of something that hell itself cannot stop to the glory of God. Amen, 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 and amen. He was a wonderful man. I'm sure I think he is a wonderful man, best I know. But I'm telling you, he just taught me some wonderful things about the fact that the church is something that's built on the rock, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we give today, you're a part of something's touching the world right here at home and all across this globe as we speak. So let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Operation Christmas Child here at a, one of the churches. These kids are going crazy. <laughs> this is the first Operation Christmas Child distribution here in Palau. Thank you for praying and packing. We look forward to what that's going to do. This is one of many shoebox distributions we've been doing on the nation of Kiribati. My dad felt a call to go to the Pacific and help these island nations. We've got a ship called the North Star. We're going to fill it with shoeboxes from Operation Christmas Child, a thousand islands in the next five years, and reach these islands for Christ. We need your help and we need your prayers as we go island to island to island, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a new initiative with Operation Christmas Child where we're going to many, many islands over the next few years to try to reach every child in the Pacific, partnering with the churches so that the churches can share the gospel on their islands. Some of the islands are very remote. Not all of them have electricity. They don't have internet. Um, so it's a challenging project just with the logistics of getting places, but we see it being important even in these places that are hard to get to. You come with the right hand to have the people's physical needs, and on the other hand, you meet the spiritual need. And when I look at OCC to come and, and give their, their time and their resources for the next five years to reach the islands, I would say yes, that is something that I want to do and that's something that I pray for and that's something that I even go myself to be part of what's happening with this island. It was awesome watching the children. Uh, we were really like joyful because we could see the joy in their faces and the surprise. All week the children have been excited about it and uh, I'm, I'm just happy. <laughs> we're limited on resources, so having this big picture, you know, to show the kids cements the gospel in them, and they will not forget it. OCC is a blessing to us here in Palau, and especially here in my island home, New Watt State. We are very thankful. You know, the Bible says that we have the opportunity to reap where we have not sown. 
Operation Christmas Child was a gift to these kids from Jesus and also to us to be able to give us the opportunity to have something in our hand as we go and minister to these kids and to these families to show them the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus Christ. When we reach out to a child, of course, the family is also being outreached. They have seen our church grow uh, as a result of Operation Christmas Child and, and the greatest journey. The greatest journey is a lesson that would really make the children be grounded in the Word of God. You want all the children to hear Christ. Out of this time, they will build upon this rock that is just on His Word, that as they grow up, they will be strong and walk with Christ. It really shows the heart of Jesus when you minister to children because these children really don't have anything in earthly possession to give back, but they are able to receive the love of Jesus. There's no strings attached. It's just his free gift of love that he has given. Scripture tells us, go throughout all ends of the earth and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to make fishers of men. That's what we've been called to do. And that's why it's absolutely important that we're out here on all ends of the earth. We're here on Tarawa. If you look on a map, it is way out in the Pacific. It is a remote location. If we're not here, who's going to come? And that's what I love about Operation Christmas Child. It knows no borders and knows no boundaries. It's all about sharing the name of Jesus Christ. boxes thought it'd be neat to be the guy on the boat you know taking those boxes those kids places it took a boat to get there showing that they overcome a lot of obstacles to get to where God's sending them but Mr. Cole y'all got our other bo bo uh, boxes and they're gonna bring them in and as they bring them in we'll stack them up here So if you've got any still out, just think you can add to that number. It'd be nice to do that. But just as of right now, there's 114 little boys and little girls that are going to know about Jesus because you gave. And I don't want you to ever forget that, that when you give, it's always a blessing. Brother Bobby, won't you come up? And Bobby's going to uh, give a blessing over our boxes. He's going to pray over them, and we're going to join together with him in that. And then when we're done with that, Marty's going to sing us out. We'll stand and sing. But I always want you to remember, this is just, a, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. And he is the ultimate example of a giver. And uh, we all want to live by his example. Just don't forget that he loves you. And I want you to never forget that I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yes, sir. Yeah, why don't we just give all that big hand right there. Thank you all so much. So much more. I heard somebody say teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? That really does. And if we're following the dream God's put in our heart, it takes everybody to come together and do that. So we'll do that. Brother Bobby is going to bless it, and then we'll stand and sing out when he's done. 